when it comes to living for God, do you ever feel like it's you versus the world? Like everything in the world is conspiring against you to not be able to live for God or everything in the world, like everywhere you turn, uh, there's something kind of standing in your way to cause you to not live for God, to just make it harder for you to stay faithful, to do the right thing, to worship God, to, you know, whether it's the person you work for, whether it's family or friends, or just maybe it's just your, I don't know, your, your bed or your house or, you know, just, well, another, you know, my roof's leaking or, you know, my car broke down. It says everything's conspiring against you, almost like the world is against you for living for God. Like you're, or like you're the only one who cares about God or living for Him, like the, your workplace, your family. Why does nobody care about living for God? It's the world uh, against me. It's me alone in this world. And now if that's the case, wouldn't it be way easier, if it's just me against the world living for God, wouldn't it be way easier to live for God? Okay, fine, it's me against the world. Um, but you know what would make it way easier? If I just had my prayers answered, God. Okay, it's me against the world, but... While I'm living against the world, it would be way easier doing this, God, if you were answering my prayers. If, you were, if I knew you were here with me, if you were doing, when I'm talking to you, if I knew you were listening and you were doing what I asked, if as I'm going about my day, that when I'm praying, something's happening, that I'm not just kind of talking into the air and my prayers are being answered. Wouldn't you feel less alone and you could deal with the whole world being against you if you knew God was working for you and he was helping you out. And we're going through this series right now, and this is the last message in it, a series called Examples of Faith According to James. In the first two weeks, we met Abraham and Rahab, who were people that had a, a living faith. You knew that faith for them wasn't just talk. You could see it by how they lived. When their faith was tested, they showed it that it was alive by their actions. And last week, we met Job, and he showed us an example of steadfast faith and when his faith was tested he didn't let go of God when he was going through suffering he just held on to God no matter how angry he was at God or no matter how much he didn't it didn't make sense to him he just kept holding on to God and this week we'll meet our final example of faith according to James Elijah and James introduces us to Elijah while he's talking about prayer Specifically, prayer for people who have a serious illness leading to death. There are people who are like on their deathbed, and he's, Elijah's talking about calling the leaders of the church together and come pray over the person who's about to die, and the prayer of faith could, could save this person. And the Lord will raise them up. And Elijah's given us as an example of someone who had a, a powerful prayer life. Of, he's praying to God, and God's answering his prayers, and he James reminds us of a time when Elijah prayed for rain to stop for three years, and it did. And then he prayed for the rain to start again, and it did. God answered his prayers. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to First uh, Kings chapter 17. We're going to take a look at that, that story of when Elijah prayed for the rain to stop, and then when he prayed for the rain to begin again in that time. And Elijah was a prophet who lived in the Old Testament. And prophets were God's spokesmen. They would often speak to the kings of Israel, and they would speak to God's people. And the kings of Israel were supposed to lead the people of Israel in God's ways. They are supposed to be the ones who are administering righteousness and justice like God wanted. Um, they are supposed to be the people who were like, okay, God says this is how you're supposed to live, and the kings were supposed to help people 
live in that way. And the prophets were the people who would call the kings back when they got off course. They're supposed to tell the kings and the people, hey, this is how God told us to live, and we've gotten off course. And so God would give a message to the prophets, and he would send them and say, the king, king, you're off course, or people, you're off course. And the prophets were the people uh, who would call uh, Israel back to covenant loyalty when they would go astray in their commitment. They would warn the people, here's the consequences if you keep going down this path. And they would say, come back and recommit to God. And Elijah lived during a time when the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And Elijah lived in the northern kingdom called Israel. And we first hear of Elijah when Ahab was king over Israel. And that's at the end of 1 Kings chapter 16. And and we're told that Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord worse than all the kings before him. And this isn't like, okay, everyone was pretty good before him, and then Ahab was, like, really bad. It's like all the kings before him were bad, and then Ahab was even worse. So it's like Ahab's just a pretty bad guy, really bad. And then he marries this princess of another nation uh, who aren't following God at all. They're worshiping this god named Baal, who's, uh, we'll get into what he's about later. Um, But then he marries this princess from another nation named Jezebel, who influenced him to start worshiping her god named Baal, or some people pronounce it Baal. It's B-A-A-L is how it's spelled. And Ahab then built a temple for Baal, and he puts an altar in there so he can worship this other god. And so he's going astray, not worshiping the god of Israel anymore, the Lord. And then uh, verse 33 of chapter 16 says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the god of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so, so take a deep breath, you know, imagine you're like a prophet or a pastor or like a missionary or someone, and this is the situation that you step into, like this is the ministry you've been handed. Okay, go fix this. You know, this is like the church or the missionary context or the ministry of like this, or like imagine you're taking a job on or like you're the CEO of a company. It's like, okay, this is what you're taking over. This is what you have to work with. This is Elijah's situation where he's living for God. The king is evil. The queen is evil. The king has built a temple for another god. And the whole nation is being led astray. And Elijah has to be a prophet, a spokesman for God in this situation. You know, talk about, I'm living, he's trying to live for God and the whole world is against me. I'm alone in this thing. And chapter 17, verse 1, introduces us to Elijah. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. This is what James was referring to when he said in James chapter 5, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And so why does Elijah pray for it not to rain? Why does he do that? It's important to remember that he's a spokesman for God. And so whatever he's doing, he's doing under God's direction. And we already know that King Ahab did more to anger God than all the kings before him. And God wants to use Elijah to confront Ahab and call the people back to worshiping him, not Baal. So, so how does stopping the rain help with that? You know, it kind of seems, for us, we don't really depend on rain. We might be like, oh, my, my lawn's turning a little brown. But rain isn't like a super big deal to us. But in a time where people are relying on the land like you know what they grow from the ground to survive that rain is a big deal it's like we need rain for our crops and if it does not rain 
we're going to die, we're going to have a famine. And so rain is like a really big deal for them. And so why is rain, why is it important that God is saying, you're going to pray that it won't rain? And, you know, for us, we were like, oh, sweet, I won't have to mow my lawn for several weeks. You know, that's, my lawn's not going to grow. But why is this important? Well, Baal in Canaanite religion was a god associated with weather. And remember that uh, Ahab's worshiping this god. The queen he married, Jezebel, is worshiping this god. And the whole nation has gone astray. And this god, Baal, is associated with weather. He controlled lightning and storms in ancient depictions of him. He's shown holding this lightning bolt, and he would, he would kind of like throw him down or whatever towards the earth. And, and he was responsible for the fertility of the land, meaning he's the, the God who you want to be have happy with you because he's the one who can control whether it's going to rain and whether your crops are going to grow. So you want to be on good terms with Baal. And so if Ahab and his queen Jezebel have gotten everyone to worship Baal, offering sacrifices to him, keeping... You know, him happy, you know, we got to offer sacrifices and worship him and do the things he wants because that means we're going to get rain, that means we're going to get crops. Um, if God sends a three and a half year drought, how powerful does this God look now? How powerful does Baal look? It's like, he can't even take care of us. He's, there's this drought. Who's in control? And Elijah comes and he says, guess what? God's going to send a drought uh, and it's not going to come again until I say so, until God says so. And Elijah walks away and it's like, uh, you know, and they can't do anything about it. Baal has no control in this situation. They're, supposedly, he's the one who controls whether rain comes, but God is saying, no, no, I control whether rain comes. Who's the real God in this situation? And the drought is to prove that the Lord is God, not Baal. And secondly, when God entered into relationship with Israel, he told them one of the consequences of, you know, it's like a covenant, like a covenant of marriage, and he said, I'm making this covenant with you. And he says, one of the consequences of breaking this covenant, if you go astray from me, uh, one of the consequences is that there's going to be drought. I'm not going to send rain. It's one of the things he uses to, it's kind of like one of these physical signs that he uses to indicate, like, you've gone astray from me. I'm giving you this land and I'm going to take care of you. But if you go astray from me, I'm going to bring you drought. And so this is a consequence of God saying, look, you've gone astray from me. And I'm giving you this land as a privilege. And I'm going to dwell with you in it. But if you turn away, rain's going to stop coming. It's not going to produce. It's not going to be this, uh, hab this habitat and home that I want to make for us to dwell together. And so they turn away from him. And so now the land is dying. Because when we turn away from God, it brings death. The wages of sin are death. And so it's this physical sign that death is coming to their lives. And so those two reasons are why he's sending this drought. So after this announcement to Ahab, Elijah's life is in danger because his queen, is Jezebel, is like killing off the prophets. And so God, two times in chapter 17, we're told the word of the Lord came to Elijah telling him where to go to hide out to keep him safe. And we, it'd be cool if we could go into all that, but we, we really can't. Uh, he's, first he's told to go by this brook where he's fed with ravens. He like drinks from the brook and he's fed with ravens, but then the brook dries up because it's a drought. And then he's told to leave Israel and stay in Zarephath, this go outside of the land of Israel where God says, I've commanded this widow to take care of you. And he goes there and her supplies don't run out. God miraculously provides for him. And both times when Elijah hears from God, he hears the word of God and he does what God says. And you can tell why James likes Elijah. Because remember what James says in chapter 2. Don't, you know, don't, just, don't be just hearers of God's word, but doers. And when James, or when Elijah hears the word of God, he does what God says. 
That's important for us to remember later. And so after taking care of Elijah during the drought, while his life is in danger, it's time for Elijah to return to Israel. And the first two verses of chapter 18 say this. So at chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And showing himself to Ahab is dangerous. But again, Elijah hears God's word and does it. God has Elijah's complete trust and obedience. And we're told that the drought has led to severe famine. Again, if there's drought, it's not like they can go to the grocery store and get their food. If there's no crops growing, if there's drought, no rain, people are starving. And it's showing, you know, Baal, this God that you're putting your trust in, cannot take care of you. God is the one who controls this. And on his way to Ahab, Elijah bumps into one of Ahab's royal officials, sends a message to Ahab to meet him. So then King Ahab goes out to meet Elijah. So let's start reading in verse 17 when they meet. So this is chapter 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Elijah sets up this showdown. It's the one prophet of the Lord. God has one prophet that he's using versus the 450 prophets of Baal, and there's these 400 prophets of Asherah, but really there's, it's the focus on the prophets of Baal. And it's going to be on this mountain that people can see for miles, Mount Carmel. People are going to see what's going to go on in this mountain because there's all these other you know, towns and stuff, so a bunch of people in the land of Israel are going to be able to see what's going to happen on this mountain. They'll be able to see it from miles around. And so let's read what happens during the showdown, starting in verse 20. And it's pretty descriptive and epic. And so we'll just start reading chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So Elijah wants the people, choose who your God is going to be. He's talking to these people like, Who's it going to be? Is it you're going to follow Baal or you're going to follow the Lord? Make up your mind. Either which one is God? Either the Lord is God or Baal's God. And so we can ask ourselves. You know, sometimes we kind of waver. Who's going to be our God? And do you, is there anything that you need to make up your mind about? I mean, I, we we say we can maybe say to ourselves like, you know, I'm following God. But then sometimes we look to other things as our source of security or comfort or safety and we can we can show in our daily lives like that something else is really what we're putting our trust in and so Elijah is giving this challenge like what are you going to put your trust in who are you going to look to here and I've titled this message that Elijah is this example of uh, faith that looks to God and so he's like who are you going to look to are you going to look to Baal to be the one who's giving you to giving you rain who's going to provide for you or are you going to look to the Lord who's going to be your God and so he's like stop going between these two different opinions are you going to look uh, and we can kind of give God part of our life or part of our heart or part of our schedule and if that's the case then, then we're only giving him part of our devotion he's saying are you going to look to God or are you going to look to 
you're going to look to the Lord or you're going to look to Baal? Who's going to be your God? And choose today. So he's putting this line in the sand, like which side are you going to be on? Making them choose. And then verse 22. And Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So 1 verse 450. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So Elijah proposes a test to see who is the real God here. Two altars, two sacrifices. Nobody's going to set fire to their sacrifice. The prophets will each ask their gods to set fire to the sacrifices. In other words, and one, another word for like uh, fire at that time is, is lightning. So it's like you're going to set fire. It's like fire from the sky. So supposedly Baal, you know, those ancient depictions of him, he was holding a big lightning. So there should be no problem for Baal, the guy who's holding, who supposedly is the, the weather god who's like holding lightning in his arm. You guys have pictures of him all over this temple you built. There should be no problem for him. If you ask him, he should be able to throw lightning down and light this thing uh, with a lightning strike. No problem. And whoever answers in response, whoever, you, know, you guys have 450 prophets, so I'm pretty outnumbered here. Your 450 prophets should be able to get your God to answer. He's holding lightning. No problem. I'm not going to have any fire. And so, this, this is the test he sets up. And so then Elijah so let me move closer to my this fire pit is coming very useful. With Abraham we had a we had an altar, now we get another altar. Larry, would you be willing to move the song books off my altar? Sure. <laughs> so I'm not gonna actually reenact this whole thing if you're familiar with the story, but so the, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God put no fire to it and so they took a bowl that was given to them here we go i don't have we don't have many we have so many stuffed animals we don't have a bowl here's a turtle so he says okay pick a bowl put it on the altar so they prepare the sticks they put their bowl on the altar he's like but don't put any fire to it so okay no matches no you know clicky fire starters don't put any fire on it and then they took the bowl given to them. They prepared it. Called, and then they start calling upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. So no, for hours. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there is no voice. And no one answered. So this is verse 26. And they limped around the altar that they had made. So, you know, they have this weird little, I don't know, dance or ritual. They're kind of like whatever. All these 450 prophets going around this thing up on top of this mountain. You know, so from this all these people of Israel, as many could gather around this mountain. Plus... People who couldn't make it are in their villages around, you know, watching from far away, seeing this thing going on. And at noon, so finally hours later, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And so the 450 prophets of Baal do all they can to get Baal to answer them. 
but no one answers. And Elijah, he starts, they're doing this for hours and hours, you know, limping around and doing whatever they're doing, their ritual. And he's just sitting back, like, and then he starts coming up with these reasons. Maybe he's daydreaming. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. You just got to wait a little bit. And then he's, maybe he's not home. Maybe he's taking a nap and you just got to wake him up. And you can just imagine this scene of this one guy sitting there in all this crowd of 450 prophets. And all, and we, for ourselves, you know, all false gods, all idols, ultimately fail the test in the end. Anything we're looking to besides God for our source of hope or joy or security or safety of ultimately, maybe for a while it will seem like it's providing for us as a source of those things, but ultimately in the end, it will fail us. Anything we look to besides God as the source of something that only God provides will fail us in the end. And so they maybe thought, you know, let's ball. This seems to be this nice system that Jezebel's proposing. So let's get on that system. But ultimately it failed in the end. And so verse 30, what does Elijah do? Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. So he repairs the altar of the Lord. It's broken down that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as could, would contain two seahs of seed. And he built the wo- put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the, on the wood. Okay. Turtle, you're out. We have a bear. Here's, here's Elijah's offering. So he repairs the altar, puts the wood on, cuts up his his uh, bowl, and he said, now go fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering. So here we go. Here's our, I won't get your bear wet, Hudson. So pours the water on. Then he says, do it a second time. Okay. Remember, this is a drought. Water is very precious. I mean, this is like, all those cisterns, the, jo- the things that like would hold water. I mean, things are just dry. It's a famine. I mean, where are they getting this water? There's water. This is like, are you sure, Elijah? Like, this is the last storages of water. Okay, but he's like so sure. God's sending rain. Okay, do it a second time. You're kind of crazy. Do it a third time. Okay. So, gets all this water poured on there. Because remember, this is supposed to start on fire. We did it a third time. The water ran around the altar. Remember, he had this trench that he made around the altar, too. Drenches the altar and then fills up this trench that he has around the altar. And he wants there to be no doubt in the people's minds that he didn't cheat in any way. Like, okay, it's a drought, Elijah. Everything's dry. Like, kind of easy to start a fire. Like, and, yeah, sure, Elijah. You did, you did some trick. You, like, flicked a little spark in there or something. Like, we... We, we kind of, I don't know if you really started that. Uh, somehow you cheated on this. And at the time, verse 36, at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench 
When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah doesn't have to do this, this crazy... I mean, compare the, what Elijah does to get the Lord to answer compared to what the other prophets did to try to get Baal to answer. He doesn't do this crazy ritual limping and dancing around the altar for hours. He doesn't whip himself and make himself bloody, begging God to answer. He doesn't have to rave for hours. He says a simple prayer with a simple purpose of you know, show that you are God, that I'm your servant, that these people may know that you are God so they can turn their hearts back. And God answers in a big way. He strikes the offering with lightning and not only burns up the offering, but consumes the wood and the stones and the dirt. And then it, the cool image of it licks up the water around the trenches. Just this, you know, it's just like, woof. It's just all, the whole thing's gone. And at seeing this, the people declare, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Just proves it beyond a doubt. And the people's hearts have been turned back to the Lord as their God. And now Elijah's ready to pray for rain. You wonder, why did he do this whole thing? God just said, go show yourself to Ahab and pray for rain. Why did he do this whole thing? Well, remember, the reason that it's a drought is because the people have turned away from God. And so Elijah is thinking, well, if, if God's going to send rain, that means he's going to turn the people back. And so he goes and does this whole thing because he knows God's going to turn these, do something to turn these people's hearts back. They're going to, if I have this showdown, they're going to turn back to him. And so to turn back to him, I mean, and maybe God, we're maybe only we're shown part of the instructions, maybe he, of what God told him to do, and it was kind of shortened for us. But Elijah goes, and the people's hearts turn back, and now, okay, now that they're turned back to the Lord, now God's going to send rain. And so verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. Went up and looked and said, There's nothing. He said, Go again seven times. The seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. He said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Elijah tells Ahab and his servant that rain is coming, and he prays for the rain, and God sends the rain. And so what does James see in this story? How does he see it? And what does James want us to see in this story? What about Elijah's life can be helpful for us as we walk with God? Remember, James is using Elijah as an example of prayer, and he says in chapter 5, the prayer in verse 16 in the middle, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And what is a righteous person? Well, you could simply say that a righteous person is simply uh, someone who hears God's word, believes it, does it, and prays it. A righteous person is someone who hears God's word, then believes it, does it, and prays it. That's what Elijah does. When the word of God comes to him, he believes it, and then he does it, he acts on it, and then he prays it. And so when you read the Bible, when you read you know, this book, when you hear God's word, is that what you do? Do you 
believe what it says? Do you do what it says? And do you pray what it says? Do you pray in accordance with what God says in it? And we may hear the words, uh, you know, the prayer of a righteous person. We may think, well, a righteous person, that's not me. That's just a category beyond what I am. That's, that's not he, me. And when you hear the story of Elijah, you may think, that certainly isn't me. I'm never going to experience anything like what Elijah experienced in this story. God can never use me to do something like what Elijah did. And, but then verse 17 says in James chapter 5, well, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And we've only covered one story in Elijah, and if we covered more stories, you'd have even more of this impression of, I am nothing like Elijah. But James says, You're, Elijah's just like you. He had a nature just like ours. And many Jewish teachers at the time, between Elijah and James, and uh, kind of focused on uh, Elijah's like supernatural accomplishments and it was like Elijah was like in this category above all of us but James doesn't focus there he focuses on Elijah had a nature like ours there was nothing special to Elijah and in fact if we studied Elijah's life in more detail you'd see that he was scared and lonely and I mean maybe even depressed I mean he was very sad he just felt super alone you see it come out when he says in his speech I even I only am left a prophet of the Lord. He feels all alone, like he's the only one living for God and the whole world is against him. And James shows us he's just like the rest of us. He has a nature like ours, given to feeling lonely and depressed and sad and scared and on the run and like, everybody's against me. And that's how Elijah feels. He's human too and he had everything that comes with being a human. But what else does Elijah have that we all have the possibility of having? He had the same God that we all have access to. And that's what James is trying to show us, that faith looks to God. He's a human with a nature just like ours, but by faith he looked to a God that we can all have access to. And his prayers were powerful. Why were his prayers powerful? What does it mean for him to pray fervently? We, we've only looked at one of his prayers today. And did he beg God over and over again or have some sort of secret, you know, strange code or ritual like if you just pray in this way or if you just do this you know do this secret dance or say it in this way like you have access to god why were his prayers powerful why does god listen to him and answer his prayers god answers elijah's prayers because elijah prays what god told him to pray he the word of the lord came to him and then he prayed exactly what god told him to pray and so we have the word of the lord too we have a whole book full of things that God wants us to pray for, of things that we can know that God wants to do uh, in our lives and other people's lives and in our world. And we have to be careful because the Old Testament is it's the Old Covenant. We aren't living necessarily under that Old Covenant. And so we have, we're not living in the land of Israel. We're living under the New Covenant with Jesus. And so there's a little bit different way um, that we live. It's not like the United States is the land of Israel, and so now we should be praying for droughts and for rain to come. That's not what we're living under, but we're living under the New Testament. So you run, live the, read in the New Testament, like, what does God want in my life? What's the will he wants done in my life? And what's the will he wants done uh, in other people's lives and in our world? And so we can know God's will by knowing God's word, and then we can pray in accordance with God's will, and that's how our prayers can be powerful, just like Elijah's. You may wonder, well, where does faith come in? 
because we're told the prayer of faith is powerful in somebody's life. Elijah still needed to believe what God said. He still needed to believe that God would send the rain because when you think, well, it was easy for Elijah to pray because God exactly told him. And it's like, well, shouldn't it be easy for us to pray too because God exactly tells us what to do? But Elijah, Elijah was told, go, go show yourself to Ahab because I'm going to send rain. But he could have still been like, but I'm, but I'm scared of Ahab. That means I have to return to Israel. And that would mean, you know, I have to do all these things. I, but he had to still act on it. You know, it's like if we have, if we're going to cross a bridge, we, we have to say, we might be saying like, please hold me up, please hold me up, please hold me up. You know, we want that bridge to hold us up so we don't fall into a cannon. And then we're like praying, you know, to the bridge or whatever. Like, please hold me up, please hold me up, please hold me up, please hold me up. But we have to step out onto the bridge to see if it's going to hold us up. And so Elijah, he needed to show himself to Ahab in order for the rain to come. And so he couldn't just stay, be like, I'm just going to stay in Zarephath with this widow and pray for rain to come. No, God said, show yourself to Ahab because I'm going to send rain. And so he had to go show himself to Ahab and do this whole thing and then pray for the rain to come. There was, this, there was his actions associated with it. And so he had to believe that rain was coming, that God was going to turn the people back. And he had to do that. It was dangerous for him. So we have a whole book telling us what God wants. And so you know, ask yourself, what shapes your prayer life? Is your prayer life full of things that you want God to do? Is your, or is your prayer life shaped by uh, the things that God says he wants to do? Is, do you, are you asking God, here's what I want you to do, God. Or are you saying, God, I want you to do this in my life because I know this is what you want to do in my life because you've told me it's what you want to do. Like, God, I just read that this is the kind of person you want me to be, so please make me into that kind of person. And we can sometimes think of prayer as like kind of delegating things to God, like, God, I don't want to do this, or God, I just need this done, or like, this would make my life a lot easier. It's like kind of a, I just want to let go and let God kind of thing, and like, okay, I just delegated that off to God, now I don't have to deal with it. But you see in Elijah's life, there's very much action associated with it. There's, he believes God, and he acts on God's word and he prays along with it. It's all, all three of those things. So there's action stepping off onto the bridge as we're praying. There's the action, the believing, the action, and the doing. And so faith, it's faith that looks to God and also submits to him when he says, no, actually that's not what I'm going to do in your life now as well. That's also a prayer of faith. I think for Elijah, he needed to hear for all of us, he had this access to God, knowing, you know, I'm alone in this world. He felt like the whole world is against him. But one thing he did know is God is for me and God is with me. And this whole thing of whatever I'm doing as a prophet, it's not up to me. And I'm not alone. It's not all up to me and I'm not alone. And you see that in Jesus' life as he's walking the earth. That he just has this awareness that God is with me. And even though I might have all these things against me, um, that God is for me and he's with me and it's not all up to me and I'm not alone and so you see Jesus has given us the same access to the Father as even when we feel like man I just feel like I'm everything's kind of like conspiring against me like it would just help to know that I'm not alone in this and that God's looking at my prayers and we can let our prayers be shaped by the word of God and knowing that God I have access to you even if I feel like the whole world's against me that you that uh, I'm this isn't all up to me to just push through life 
and I'm not alone in it either. So our, the songs we're going to be singing next, Our Great Is Our God and By Faith, help us to think uh, in those ways. So let me pray as we um, switch to singing those songs to help us um, remember that God is it's not all up to us and we're not alone. Father, would you help us to believe that, that it's not all up to us and that we're not alone, that you love us, you've given us access to you because of what Jesus has done, that we have your spirit in us and that you can do, you've done great things to allow us to be in relationship with you and that you can continue to do great things through our prayers as we pray for your will to be done. In your son's name we pray. Amen.